0: Thank you, choir. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we open His Word together. God, thank You for Your Word. I pray You speak to us through it now. Uh, Help us to be open to what You want to teach us. Help us to consider what it looks like to be neighborly, to extend Your love to those around us. We ask that You would speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Most of you know we've been going through a series of... of the parables of Jesus this summer, and this will be our final parable that we're going to look at in the series, and then next week we're going to start a new sermon series on the spiritual disciplines, and the spiritual disciplines, someone asked me, you know, Ron, what, what are those, what, what are you talking about when you say spiritual disciplines, uh, those are activities we can participate in to grow in our relationship with the Lord, like prayer, Bible intake, and worship. And there are several others. And so we're going to start a series next week on the spiritual disciplines. Those aspects of our lives that we can dive into with the Lord to grow in our relationship with God. And so I hope you'll come back to be a part of that. But this morning we're going to look at a final parable. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And one of the words that kind of runs through this parable that we read often and we, or we talk about is this idea of being a neighbor. And I was actually uh, passing by a a room in the house the other day, and my youngest child was listening to a new cartoon that that has come out. And it kind of caught my ear, thinking, I've heard this song before. But it was kind of, you know, remixed, you know, a little more modern flavor to it, uh, different voices in it. And what I realized is that, you know, this sounds like the Mr. Rogers theme song But it's not Mr. Rogers' voice. And so I was interested, you know, what's going on here? And I went into the the room and I watched the television. And I noticed that what they have done is they have made a cartoon. I think it's called Daniel the Tiger. And they're using a lot of the elements of Mr. Rogers, but it's animated, okay? And they're still using that theme song that we probably all know. You know, it's, Won't You Be My Neighbor?, and Mr. Rogers, you know, is asking that friendly question in his theme song, saying, you know, I wish you were a part of my neighborhood. Come and be a part of my neighborhood. Because this idea of neighbor means friends, you know, you live close to me, we're close together. You know, most neighborhoods, at least, uh, they, have, they have the potential of promoting good relationships, that kind of thing. And so Mr. Rogers sings, you know, won't you be my neighbor? Well, they're still using that song except for a, a your cartoon version of a tiger singing it. But what we see in the, this parable, we do have this idea of neighbor. But Jesus is going to challenge our idea, our concept, our category for who is our neighbor. And If we pick it up in, in chapter 10 of, of Luke, Jesus is teaching a group of people. And if you can imagine, he's standing up, he's teaching. Everybody's most likely seated, and he's teaching. And then it says, someone stands up, and Luke calls this person a lawyer. And the reason he calls him a lawyer is because he's an expert in the law, specifically the law of God, so the first five books of the Bible, predominantly. He's an expert in the Old Testament. Now, I'm going to use the term theologian to refer to this man. Because that's what he was—he's a theologian, an expert in God's word. Because our modern conception of a lawyer is someone who is an expert in the law, but not necessarily the law of God. Even though it is possible to be a lawyer-theologian, right? It, I mean, we're, you can have both—be a, a lawyer and a theologian at the same time. But for the sake of this parable, I'm going to call this man a theologian because he was an expert in the law of God. And so he stands up and he asks Jesus two questions. The first question he poses and tests Jesus with is is this one in verse 25. This is a question that we've probably all asked at one time or another. What must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, I believe there's life after death, and so how do I ensure that I can partake in that and I can be with God for all eternity. So whether you have a firm belief in life after death or maybe you even, or you're not sure, maybe you're still kind of on the fence, I'm not sure what happens when you die, you've probably wrestled with this question. How do I ensure that I spend eternity with God? It's a very important question. And this theologian, as well as Christians, we believe there is life after death, and so an answer to this question is very important to us. And so Jesus, knowing that this man is familiar with the Old Testament, he answers his question by asking a question. And he asks this question in verse 26. What is written in the law, and how do you interpret it? Now, the theologian could recite I guess, the first five books of the Bible, but that would take a long time. And so, he sums up all of the laws of God in one phrase that can be found in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And it's also a phrase that Jesus Himself quotes in the Gospels as He sums up the law as well. And He says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, And your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responds to the theologian. He says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. In other words, if you you love God perfectly with all your being at all times. And you love your neighbor in every circumstance all the time. Then you will inherit eternal life. In other words, if you want to earn eternal life, if you want to merit eternal life, then love God, love your neighbor perfectly, fulfill the law, and it's yours. Now, we all know there's a problem with that. Now, we're familiar with Exodus. God gives the law. He gives the Ten Commandments. But then what book comes after Exodus? Leviticus. Because God knows we can't keep the law. Right? He gives the law, and then He shows us, okay, when you break the law... This is how you approach me and receive forgiveness and grace and mercy. Because he knows we cannot do it. And so the lawyer, the theologian, he's coming to Jesus and he's asking this question, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus simply says, Be perfect. And it's yours. Now, the lawyer should at this point say, I need God's mercy and grace and forgiveness. I know I can't do that. I need the Messiah that the Old Testament talks about. But he doesn't do that. He will seek to justify himself. And when we seek to justify ourselves, this is what we do with the law of God. We take the law of God and we kind of break it down into little manageable segments that we can accomplish. So we, can, we take the Ten Commandments and we try to break it down into like a to-do list that we can just check off. Yeah, I've done this, I've, I've done this, I've done this, I've inherited eternal life. That's the way we tend to treat God's law. And so, we justify ourselves. And this is what this theologian was trying to do. Look at verse 29. Luke says, But he, designed to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? You see, at first he says, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, Love God, love your neighbor. Well, who is my neighbor? See, if you can just tell me who my neighbor is... Is it just the Jewish people or does it include other people? If you could just point them out to me, then I can make sure I do this. So he wants to justify himself. And then Jesus, instead of giving him just you know a short answer, decides to share a parable with him. The parable of the Good Samaritan. Now you're all familiar with the parable of the Good Samaritan. So what I want to do this morning... As I want to take the truth of the parable of the Good Samaritan, I want to try to modernize it. So it will land on you like it landed on the hearers of Jesus' parable that day in the first century. So perhaps the parable would go something like this There was a missionary serving in the Middle East, in the Gaza Strip. And. When this fighting broke out between Israel and Hamas several weeks ago, he's caught in the middle. And during one of these missile exchanges, one of these missiles lands near his home and explodes and sends shrapnel through his home and inflicts on him several severe wounds. And he's in critical condition, in desperate need of medical care. Well, word gets back to the missionary agency that he is with that this man is critically injured and he's going to die if he doesn't get medical care soon. So the mission agency looks at the situation and says, it's just too risky for us to go into the Gaza Strip to try to rescue you. I'm sorry, we just we can't help. So then an appeal is made to the UN. You know, there's this missionary, he's down, he's hurt, we need to go in and get him. And the UN looks at the situation and says, it's just too risky, we can't go in after this man. While he's sitting there suffering, a young man comes by. And it turns out this young man is a soldier with Hamas. And he looks at this young man, and for one reason or another, he has compassion on this man. And he provides this man with all the medical care he needs to nurse him back to health. And the question is, which of these three proved to be a neighbor to this man? You know that feeling in your stomach right about now? In your heart? You think, this is such an impossible story. <laughs> How could anyone even attribute an act of kindness to an extremist terrorist organization? How is that even possible? Would well, that is the thinking of the Jewish listener in the first century when they heard this parable of Jesus. How could a Samaritan fulfill the law of God better than a priest or a Levite? It's impossible. How could this happen? How could they be more of a neighbor to the injured man than God's own people? And you notice when Jesus says, who proved to be more of a neighbor? The theologian could not even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. He couldn't even say the Samaritan. Just like we would probably have a hard time saying Hamas or some group that we would say. We can never attribute some act of love or kindness to this group because they're bent on such evil. And so what he says instead, instead of saying the Samaritan showed the mercy, he says, The one who showed him mercy... Verse 47, 37. That's his answer. You see, the key to understanding the parable of the Good Samaritan is to see how Jesus turns the theologian's question. How Jesus adjusts that question. The theologian asked, Who is my neighbor? Whereas Jesus asked the question, Are you neighborly? You see the difference. One focuses on the object, tell me which one I should love and which one I don't have to love, and Jesus turns it inside and says, are you loving, regardless of who it is? That is the thrust of this parable. And so if you're asking, who is my neighbor? Love your neighbor as yourself, well, who is my neighbor so I can, so I can do that? You're actually asking the wrong question what you should be asking is, am I neighborly? You know, do, I, do I love people? And when we look at love here, there are several characteristics of love we know. 1 Corinthians 13, all throughout the scripture, there are several characteristics of love. And in this parable, we at least see two of them that I think will help us uh, evaluate our own hearts and, and ask, the que- as we ask the question, do I love people? Am I neighborly? The first characteristic of love here is that love does not discriminate. You know, love expresses itself to everyone around them, regardless of who they are. Many of you are familiar with the uh, Peanuts comic strip and cartoon, right? Charlie Brown? When one comic strip, Linus exclaims, he says, I love mankind. It's the people I don't like, you know. And th- and this is the problem. We say, yeah, we love people, but it's the individual people we have a problem with. <laughs> it's you or you or this other group. This I don't really care for them, but I love people in general, you know, mankind. But we see in the in the love that the Samaritan displayed that it was not discriminatory. One writer said it this way. He says. We instinctively tend to limit for whom we exert ourselves. And that's true, right? We we instinctively reserve our love for certain people. Either people that are like us or people that we like. And he says, Jesus will have none of that. By depicting a Samaritan helping a Jew, Jesus could not have found a more forceful way to say that anyone at all in need, regardless of race. Politics, class, and religion is your neighbor. Not everyone is your brother and sister in faith, but everyone is your neighbor, and you must love your neighbor. Love does not discriminate. The second characteristic of love here is that love is active. It's, uh, it's demonstrative. You know, it, love has to show itself, or it's not there. It must be. Be extended. It must show itself. Now, in this parable, it shows itself in acts of mercy, and surely that is one way to express love. But in another instance, it may show itself in an act of correction, or in in an act of encouragement, or in an act of kindness. There are several ways it can be expressed, but the fact is, it must be it must be demonstrated. And the lawyer, the theologian in this passage, he understood the Old Testament. He understood the idea that God is love. Just like the Apostle John would later write in First John, and we actually sung the hymn this morning, that we love because God first loved us. So there was a common belief there that the reason I'm able to love and I have the capacity to love is because God is love. And we're made in His image. And He loved us, therefore we can, we can love others. So the thrust of this parable is not who should I love, but rather are you loving? Does your love discriminate? Is your love being demonstrated to those around you? And the reference point for all of us is God. The way that we can see how to love our neighbor is to look at how God became a neighbor to us. Just, just listen, listen to the Gospel. You have an injured man laying half dead. Well, we were dead in our sin. And all these people and things that we thought would help us, bring us in a right relationship with God. Power, pleasure, money, relationships. We all thought that was going to bring us to God, and they just pass us by and then one comes to help us, and His name is Jesus. And He comes and He picks you up. And He applies the healing ointment of His forgiveness. And He pays the price on the cross for you to be brought in to the house of God. Paul put it this way in Romans 5.8. He says, but God demonstrates His own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You notice that God demonstrates His love toward us while we were yet sinners. In other words, He didn't discriminate. He didn't say, well, since you all don't love me, I'm not going to love you. No, He loved first. And then He demonstrated that love. It made its way out. It's active. It was demonstrated. It comes to the surface. It shows itself ultimately by God giving His own Son. And so as you understand that reference point, as you experience the neighborly love of God, then you can extend that same neighborly love to other people. That's our reference point. We don't love in order to be loved by God. We are loved by God. Therefore, we can love others. And so the more the gospel message, what God has done for us in Christ, sinks into our heart, it expands the capacity for us to demonstrate our love in ways that It doesn't discriminate, it it doesn't uh, hide itself, but it demonstrates itself to everyone around us. The thrust of this parable is, what does it look like for us to love God and love others? And we see that it's not about building a resume of accomplishments to bring before the Lord one day and say, look, I deserve to be a citizen of heaven. No, it's coming to God based on the resume of Christ. And receiving the gift of God's love. And because of that transforming love in our own lives. We can express it to those around us. God's love in us. Through faith in Jesus Christ. Makes us more neighborly. It makes us more loving. And if you find yourself this morning. Having a hard time. Loving people. And I just want to encourage you. Look to Christ. Look to Christ. Look what He did. Look how He loves. And allow that love to flow through you. Because it's only by looking to Him that we're able to allow the love that He has shown to us to flow through us and be demonstrated to those around us. Let us pray together. God, thank You for demonstrating Your love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, we were dead in sin, making no moves towards You, yet You moved toward us. And we are so grateful for that. Lord, help us to love, not in order to earn love, but God, help us to love others because we have been loved and we are loved by You. Lord, help us to not discriminate who we love. Help us to demonstrate the love that You have shown us to those around us. And for each person here, I pray Your Holy Spirit would just have free reign of their hearts right now and that You would show them areas that they need to put this into practice. Certain ways they're withholding their love or certain people they're not loving. But Lord, help us all to See you as our reference point. Help the gospel to be our bearing. And see that we are accepted by you in Christ because you love us, not because we love you. And it's because of your love that we can love you and love others. Now would you change us, Lord, and make us into the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.